Today's message is entitled, Under the Pile. I don't know if you can see in that picture there, I was looking for a good picture of a, a football fumble pile. And if you can tell, right at the bottom there, there's a guy with a white hat on. This must have been the days before helmets and face masks, right? You think of all the, uh, all the concussions and stuff going on in the back. But a long time ago, they didn't have face masks or even helmets, hard-sided helmets, when they clanged all together. But I want to talk about what it means to be under the pile and what God can do with that. So my message is under the pile. Football is one of the most watched sports in America. And while most are drawn to the riveting touchdown runs and the quarterback sacks and the circus catches, there's another part of the game where intense action occurs, but it always escapes the notice of both fans and TV cameras. What part is that? It's the ensuing pileup after a fumble occurs. When the ball is up for grabs and players pile on top of one another, I remember when my brother was in high school, he reached, he was playing Ogama Heights football game, and he jumped on a pile, and everyone jumped on top of him, and then he looked down and he saw that he had two elbows. Broke his arm. <laughs> but, I mean, th- things, things are nasty under the pile, and, and, and a lot of stuff goes on, a lot of fighting goes on, but we're not privy to see it unless you're under the pile. It looks like nothing more than a mess of bodies, but deep down under the pile, there's incredible fighting going on. Pushing and pulling and scratching and clawing and kicking and biting and elbowing. That all goes on all the time. We have no idea, but it all goes on. In other words, what looks like a pile of players from the outside is something entirely different from the pile on the inside especially for the player who finally secures the ball at the bottom of the pile. That's what they're fighting for. Likewise, how does that have to do with us and our Christian life? Well, when it looks like we're drowning in trials and tribulations, when it looks like we're down deep under the heap that's piled on top of us, there's always something going on that others cannot see. We and God are the only ones that are privy to what's going on when we're under that pile of trials and tribulations. We know what's going on. Therefore, today, we dive into the pile ourselves in the hopes of coming away with the ball and changing the possession and the momentum in the game of life. Anybody ever felt like they've been on on the bottom of a pile before? You know why? Because you're a Christian. That happens as part of life. No one ever said being a Christian is easy. If they did, they were wrong and they didn't read the Bible. We're going to talk about that today. Being a, our text is going to begin in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And if you know me, I kind of go all over the Bible to kind of back up to that, that verse to kind of show how it all connects together. But we're going to begin in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when Peter begins this letter, these, these books, these letters, he, he begins by identifying himself first and foremost as a bond servant. Okay? Does anybody know what a bond servant is? A bond servant is one who volunteers to be a servant of other. Okay? It's not a, the translation is not a slave who's taken under their, against the will. A bond servant is volunteers to humble yourself and voluntarily lay down your will to follow the will of another. Okay? 
when early people came to the Americas a long time ago, people would choose to be a bond servant. They said, if you give me passage, I'll be your bond servant for a certain amount of time. I volunteer to do that to follow you. Now, Jesus, his apostles were saying, I'm going to choose to be, I'm going to choose to be a bond servant. You've given me life eternal. I'm going to attach my wagon to yours, so to say. I'm going to be your bond servant to follow after your will. I'm going to let go of my will, the things I need, because you've already given me everything I need, and I'm going to choose to be your bondservant. Peter writes to those who have obtained the same precious faith. Though we all receive faith through the righteousness of Jesus, there is a process by which we obtain that faith. We don't just wake up one day and have it. It is a continual, day by day, a continual laying down of our will and choosing to pick up God's and choosing to follow God's will. Despite every desire in our flesh to resist, to follow something else, we need to choose to lay down our will and to follow His will every day. And it's a battle. It is this process through which we come into the like-mindedness for the kingdom of God to walk in a faith that's more than just knowledge. It completely changes every perspective for every situation you face. So when you get out of bed and your flesh wants to do something else and you choose to follow Jesus, know that every one of us is in the same boat. Every one of us are pulled in different directions or want to give up or want to do this or want to just seek comfort or seek something. And God's saying, I want you to follow me. Every one of us knows that. But the enemy, as you know, will tell you that you've got it worse than everyone else. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But every one of us is tempted. The Bible says that even Jesus was tempted, but he was without sin. So we are all pulled, but we choose to lay down our will so that we can follow the will of God. To obtain this, it makes a difference in our lives, not, not just in our words. It takes a deliberate process to fully embrace faith so that, we, so that God can fully embrace us. Luke 21:19 says this, By your patience, possess your souls. How many of you have a lot of patience? Okay, if you can't see behind you, no one raises their hand. <laughs> patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Something that we can't manufacture on our own. But if we're spending time with God and God flows through us, then we can bear that fruit of patience. But patience tests us. And so by patience, which means if there's patience, it means there's trials that are keeping us from that. And so it's through trials and through patience in our trials that we possess our souls so that we understand what God has called us to be, to follow His will, to take mastery over our soul's desires and to lay it down for God. It is through this process, through trials and tribulation, that we possess our souls. What's that mean? Oswald Chambers wrote a very best-selling book called My Utmost for His Highest, the devotional. He talks about a time in the life of a born-again believer when he does not have the same vitality in his thinking or reasoning that he previously had. The trials and the injustice of life attempts to weary his soul and take up space in his mind and to stifle his pursuit of God. Therefore, Jesus commands us to take possession of our souls through patience. He understands more than anyone about the process that we must walk in, in faith, and then be totally submitted to God. Yet as Chambers points out, many of us refer to, prefer to stay at the entrance of the Christian new life instead of going in 
to create and build our soul in accordance with the new life God has placed us in. In other words, it's easy to take part of all the fun part of the Christian walk. To live it is the hard thing. It's easy to be a Christian here. It's a lot harder out there. But that's where we, by patience, possess our souls. That's where we, we lay down our will and follow God. That's where God makes us more like Jesus out there. This is all part of coming together as a family, but we live our faith out there. We fall and we fail because we're ignorant of the way that God has made us. And oftentimes we blame things on the devil that are actually the result of our own undisciplined natures. Just think what we could do if we were awakened to this truth, if we stopped blaming on the devil or someone else and just took responsible ownership and saying, yes, the enemy's trying to take me down, but greater is he that's in me than greater is he that's in the world. I'm going to choose to lay down my will, and I'm going to choose to follow after God. Therefore, Peter does more than just write a letter to encourage the downtrodden believer. He charges us to walk in the full authority of a soldier of the cross. Throughout this letter, he reminds us all that we have already been given, as well as teaching us how to put these things into operation so we can truly bring about effectual change to pierce the darkness with the power of Christ. We will never change what's going on in the world and the darkness of the world right now by our own strivings and our logic and our strength. We will only change it by the power of Christ because what's happening out there, even though you can't see it, is a spiritual force at work. Now, when people are unaware of it, they become pawns by the spiritual forces, but there's spiritual forces at, at work right now attacking in the darkness. We cannot overcome it in our own strength or logic or wisdom. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working through us to lead in different ways. Because sometimes your, your flesh might say, you need to lash back, or you need to criticize this person, or you need to slander that person to cut them down. And God says, I want you to love that person. I want you to forgive that person. Yes, I know it was unfair, but I want you to pray for that person. Jesus said to pray for your enemies. That's why we have to lay down our will, because our will will cause us to react what we think we should do, and God has a different way, the better way. After all, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's nothing worse than an army that's carrying around an arsenal of weaponry, but has no knowledge or training of how to use it. So they complain. And they put expectations on others to fight for them. And victory eludes them on nearly every front, merely because of the ignorance of the truth. They have all the weapons they need, but they don't know how to use it. And so they blame it. It must be someone else's fault. The truth of the matter is God has given us a lot of power and authority if we understand it and ask him how to use it and apply it to our lives. Peter makes sure that the army of the Lord knows what it has and what it takes to walk in the full admonition and full authority of God. 2 Peter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. In knowing Jesus, we have grace and peace multiplied to us. And through him, we've been given all things that we need to not only live this life here on earth, but to do so in a way that honors God with how we live. We're not just all trying to get to that final place. 
God's saying, if you've come to me and if you confess your sins and you've come to me, I give you salvation. But now the process called sanctification where God makes you more like Jesus each and every day. And he does that by giving you unfair events that happen in your life. If you're going through an unfair trial, guess what? It's by God's design that that happened to you to see how you react to it. I've told you before, I would not be here, my wife and I would not be here if some very unfair events did not happen in our lives. They were very unfair. But they caused God to close the door in one part of our life so he could open up the door up here. And if I continued to complain about it, I would not be here right now. Thankfully, I did this when God told me to close my mouth and stop complaining about it. Because he said, I want to work on you and take you to the next level and open a new door for you, but I can't if you don't lay down your will. So a lot of times what's happening is God presents unfair things to see how we respond to them. And guess what? How many know that if you don't respond in the right way, guess what happens next? God gives you the same thing again that's even harder, and it's even more unfair again. Nothing was ever more unfair than Jesus Christ, the perfect one, never sinned, he was killed. Nothing was ever more unfair than that. So when we go through unfair events, we need to keep our mouth closed because that's what Jesus did. And we need to seek God and pray, pray to God. And God gives us grace and peace in the process. Second Peter 1, verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's common for all of us to have the sparkle of our salvation begin to fade after a while. People get on fire, then they just kind of meld back in. Unfortunately, we forget just how incredible it was to not only have been saved from eternal separation from God, but also that His grace is dispensed to us on a daily basis to overcome whatever the world throws at us. Yes, I know my, my salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Because I continue, I'm open to Him. But I also know that God's grace is available for me every single day. That when I mess up, and I mess up every day. Maybe some of you don't, but I do. I mess up every day, and God's grace is for me every day. And so I come back to God, and I thank God, and I pray to God for wisdom, and I might get better at this, but I might mess up over here. Right? That guy that spins his plates over here and runs back over here, and that one drops, and you go back over here and spin this one, and that one drops. Yeah. Go through a lot of China that way. But that's what God's grace is. He's not asking to be perfect, but he is saying that you need to use me as the measuring stick, using me as Jesus, not me. God's saying use Jesus as the measuring stick and line your life up, and when you make a mistake, I'm there to help pick you back up and put the pieces back together. But don't stop. Keep trying. My grace is free each and every day. That being said, Peter takes the opportunity to remind us that we have already been given God's divine power and exceedingly great promises of things to come. Why does he remind us of that? It's because even though we may have committed our lives to live for Christ, we are still attacked relentlessly by the enemy to stifle our joy, to disrupt our peace, to make us doubt our salvation, 
to ultimately to silence our witness. Because I, if I could get more focused on me and my failings and my doubts and my fears, then I'm not going to be sharing Jesus with other people. That's the ultimate plan. Those are the things that are at work, is to focus on yourself so that you're not spreading the greatest news ever known to mankind. Now, there are many arguments and debates about whether or not you can lose your salvation. Or if once you've accepted Jesus, you're forever His, even though you may continue to mess up. That, that, that debate goes on a lot. If you're unsure where you stand on the topic, I invite you to seek God on your own and study the Scriptures for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal His spiritual security to you. But at the same time, I ask you to consider why the enemy attacks Christians so hard. Why doesn't he just attack people who have no use for God? Why does he attack Christians so hard? Even those who believe that no matter how bad they mess up, their eternity is secure in Jesus. Satan attacks us so he can silence our witness. And in way too many cases, he is doing exactly that with great success. There are too many Christians nowadays that don't share Jesus with others, that don't talk about Jesus unless they're with other Christians. And yet God has called us to go into the world to make disciples of all nations, teach them to observe everything that He has commanded us. If the enemy silences the testimony of a once-on-fire believer, in effect, listen, one person, if he silences them, he can stop the spread of Christianity in that family, which means he might stop the spread of Christianity in that neighborhood, and then that workplace, and then that school, and that entire community. Every time we draw back in shame and pain and confusion and sin and sorrow, we're pulled off the mission field of helping to spread the message of Christ. Now understand there's times that we have to step back because we're wounded or because we're tired or because the things happen. It's not a bad thing. But there's a lot of things that pull people off the mission field of sharing the message, then we never go back out as well. With each believer who is stifled, the enemy can literally turn the tides of Holy Spirit power in an area. Peter reminds us of what we have been given and points to the future where we are heading into a beautiful eternity with the Lord. It's the enemy who causes us to focus on the present difficulties of our challenges. Yet if we understand a basic truth from God, we become untouchable to the enemy and all his schemes. You see, without the proper knowledge and training and perspective, we believe that the troubles of this life, listen, we believe that the troubles that happen to us, the troubles of this life, are counterproductive to our pursuit of God and to our maturation of faith. That's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think because you have troubles and problems and loss and sorrow and all those things unfair, he wants to make you think that because you have all that, that's counterproductive to your pursuit of God. To bring shame condemnation, withdrawal, doubt. Satan believes he is heaping more crud on top of you to stifle you, to put out your flame, and to turn your heart cold. But deep under that pile, beneath the heap of trials and troubles that seek to cover you up, the Spirit of God, deep down in there, gets fanned into flame. 
Therefore, with everything that's added and heaped onto your life, you have the opportunity, your choice, through God's divine power and grace, to turn your discouragement into confidence. Not because you can, but because God can. You have the opportunity to turn your, turn your gloom into joy, to turn your mourning into dancing, and your defeats into victory for Christ. What the enemy sends, he intends for your destruction. But what God allows, he uses it to jumpstart your faith by connecting you to the overcoming power of the Holy Spirit. I've heard this said a bunch of times. When I first came, I said this, and people kind of got a little upset at me because they disagreed with this theology. But it's been said before that God, someone said before, God will never give you more than what you can handle. And I said, that's a lie. It's not in the Bible. God has to give you more than you can handle so that you have to depend on Him. He has to. Because if you, if you give you too much you can handle, you're going to depend on yourself to get you through, or you're going to depend on your friends. And they're there, but God has to give you more than you can handle so that you make Him your Lord, and He can pull you out of that. have to do that. So He uses these things in your life with the hope that you will turn to Him and you will follow Him and He will lead you out of that heap and into victory. Listen, few of the qualities of a godly believer really stand out and mature unless they are exercised through challenges. People say all the time, I wish I had great faith. I wish I had moving faith. I wish I could believe by faith for a new job or believe by faith for a relationship. You know how you get more faith? You go through challenges. So if you say, God, increase my faith, guess what he's going to do? I have a good challenge for you. I have an unfair event that's going to happen to you. I'm going to see how you handle this. Now, God protects you. He ordains your trial, not to crush you, but with the hope that you will turn to him and he will lead you out and he gets the victory because no one else could have done it except for him. To access all that God has given us, we need trials and challenges and tribulation. I know that's not a very popular theology, but it's true. Towards the end of the book of Genesis, we learn about a man named Joseph who faced more injustice and trials than any of us. He was hated so much by his own family by his own brothers, because they were envious of him and his gifts, that they threw him into a pit. And then they went and told his father that he was killed. After being sold to a band of traders, he was taken to Egypt, where through a series of unjust events, he became a slave and was locked away in a prison for years for something that he did not do. Totally unfair. Thrown in the pit, totally unfair. Told his father he, was di- he died, totally unfair. Was sold to traitors, totally unfair. Imprisoned for something he never did and was there for years, totally unfair. Yet deep down in the dungeon and deeper still in Joseph's heart, he never lost his faith. In fact, under the pile that was heaped on top of Joseph, the Spirit of God empowered him to minister to others and eventually be exonerated and exalted himself. Why does God allow you to go into these piles, these heaps, these difficult times? 
Because you know why? There's people down there that need God. They're not going to come here to churches. They're not going to come on the powers of conversations. God will have you go through a difficult time because He trusts you as an ambassador for Him to go into these places and to help share the gospel or to share the hope of Jesus with someone else. That they wouldn't just come into a church, but they will be in your trials if you're ready to be used by God. That's what God did to Joseph. Put him in a place because there's people that needed his touch. But they're locked up. They couldn't come to a church. God will allow that to happen in your life so that you can be an ambassador for him and be his light. So Joseph eventually was exalted, was exonerated. Many, and he was put into a place of great power in all of Egypt. He was the second in command. Many years later, his same brothers that traded him away came cowering at his feet, not knowing who he was. And they were looking for handouts during an unrelenting drought. And they came upon this guy, this Egyptian, they thought, and they're asking him for food because they're poor. There's a drought and famine in the land. And now with the table turns, Joseph looks down at him and he's, you know, this temptation is there. These are the same people that threw me and cast me aside. These are the same family that threw me in a pit. Told my father I died. Now I have power over them. All those temptations were there. The tables were turned. Joseph had the power and the opportunity to exact his revenge and to punish and shame his brothers for what they had done to him. And though his brothers expected the worst, Joseph responded in a way that showed exactly what was developed under the pile of troubles. So they, now they knew it was Joseph, and they had to go to the same person that they were bad to and ask him for help. Genesis 50, verse 20. Listen to Joseph's response. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. If Joseph hadn't got thrown in that pit and taken away by traitors and brought to Egypt and rose up in power, he never could have saved his family who needed his help later. It makes sense in the end, but in the meantime, everything was unfair. And he could have complained, and he could have exacted vengeance, and he could have spread scandal, like so many people do today, and criticized. Or he could, just, or he could have just said, I'm trusting God. It's not fair, but I'm going to trust God. God used it for His good and the good of many people. What the enemy intends for evil against you to discourage you, to break you, to offend you, to destroy you, and to silence you, God allows for good when you relinquish your right for revenge and trust Him to exonerate you. Our flesh, if we don't lay down our will, when we get hurt, our flesh will want to take revenge on another person who hurt us, whether they meant it or not. That's just how our flesh is. We have to give up our right for revenge and trust God. God, I'm hurting. This was unfair. I'm offended. This shouldn't have happened. But God, I want to seek you more than I want to seek revenge. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who trust God, and which means I have to trust God because when I don't understand it, if I get in the way and I don't trust God, I will go out of God's will, then it won't make sense. If I trust God when I don't understand it, eventually it's going to work together for good. Not necessarily my good, but for God's good. And sometimes my good is there, but for, the, for God's will, if I trust God, it's going to work together for good. For those who are called by God's purpose in the earth. And to those who respond to this calling, God has, listen, predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, that is a hot topic among Christian circles and some pastors don't like to preach about it because it brings about a lot of debate. There are many who will take the opportunity to debate the merits of predestination. Does God predestine all the things you do? People will debate that for hours and days and months and years to the point that they're no longer following God. They're debating that who's right on a topic. But if you take this concept in its context, you'll see a very different focus of the term predestination. For those who argue that God predestines you to go to heaven, that it's not your choice at all, you're missing not only the content of this passage, but the very point of what it is saying. It says He predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. It means He ordains your trials. He predestines you to that to be conformed. In other words, God predestines and He individually designs the processes by which each of us has the opportunity to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Whether you are conformed to Jesus or not depends entirely on how much you are willing to submit to the Holy Spirit in your life. God wants to change you. Why? Because He wants to make us more like Jesus. So he designs these trials and he ordains these things in our life which are difficult and many of them are unfair, just like what happened to Jesus. But he ordains these in our lives so that we will be conformed into his image. Plain and simple, God ordains your trials. He allows the injustices in your life. He is fully aware of the unfair events and people that surround you. And if you rely on your own will and your own logic, then you will cut down people. You will spread scandalous stuff about them. You will call them names. You will, in your head, think bad thoughts about them. You will think that you are right. That's what your flesh does. It tries to stay alive. God says we need to crucify our flesh and pick up His will for our lives and to follow Him. But our desire wants to fight back. God says, I want you to trust me. I want, I am predestining you to be conformed to my image. And if you're willing to admit these things and come to me and allow, allow and trust me through the trials, then I can conform you to my image. But it's not going to be easy. Not everyone is willing to walk through this process, however. Many grow tired and give up. Many people stop coming to church and they figure that I can just seek God on my own at, her, at home and I can watch TV on church, church on TV. Then you don't have the, the, the blessing of brothers and sisters to come alongside of you. Life is tough. Amen? Amen? Life as a Christian is tough. 
But the blessing it is, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints because we are all in the same boat. We all know life can t- is tough, but we can pray for you and encourage you and understand you and feed you the Word of God, which feeds your soul, that lifts you back up to rise over your trials. We need one another. And I was talking to Joanne how much she missed being part of this church and she had to take some time off for a while, but glad to be back. Amen? Amen. <laughs> We're glad to have you back. We're glad to have everyone here. I know there's times that we can't be here, but there's so much blessing that we can help with one another if we're here. That's God's goal for the church. We're a family. We're one body. God wants to conform each of us to His image. And so God allows trials in our lives so that we're conformed to His image. However, the bulk of this transforming work happens not out in the open. You know where it happens? Under the pile, where few can really see what's going on. You can hide from others how bad things are in your life. And some might know of some instances, but they don't know the attacking thoughts that you get, the battlefield of the mind. They don't know how you're attacked and tempted and how you blow it at times and all the insecurities that we all have. They don't know that. But God knows that. And if we could just acknowledge those to God and say, God, I'm under the pile. I trust you that you're going to get me out. And it just brings us one step closer to God. For those who do respond to the calling, they don't blame others. They take responsibility for themselves. They take responsibility for their own actions or even for their own inactions. They don't refuse to lay down their will. They willingly lay down their will and they choose to follow God so that they can be conformed to His image because that's what He predestines us. He predestines us to be conformed. If we're willing to be conformed, then we know our destination. Because we have become like Jesus. Not perfect, but under God's grace and seeking after God's will, not ours. For those who do respond to the calling, those who are willing to trust God through the trials, we are equipped with grace and peace and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to rise above anything that is heaped upon us. God not only sees this under the pile, He's right there fighting with you and fighting for you to make sure that everything that's been piled upon you, you will eventually come away from that pile. You'll eventually come away with the ball. Possession. The enemy wants to take the the momentum away. He wants you to blame others and criticize others and point to others. God says, I want you to come to me. I'm going to give you the ball. I'm going to give you the momentum at the bottom of that pile. So that when you come out, you're praising God, not blaming others about the unfair things that happened in your life. It's not easy. All of us fail many times. But that's why we have to keep coming back to God. Under the pile, God sees what you're going through, and He knows, and He's saying, just call to me. I'm going to make a change of possession and you're going to come out with the ball in the victory. Therefore, Peter reminds us just what we should come away with as we proceed with our process to be conformed to Christ. 2 Peter 1, verse 5, this is all in context, says, but for this very reason, giving all diligence, that's hard work, giving all diligence Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue add knowledge, 
Listen, faith is our willingness to trust God under the pile of troubles and challenges in our lives. Believe me, there's a lot of vicious elbows being thrown under the pile and unfair things that happen. But if we give all diligence to hold on to our faith and trust God, then He will sustain us. He will get us out of that pile. Virtue is added to us as we remain humble throughout the process. It is added over time as we consistently bridle our tongues, as James says. We, we, we refuse to exact revenge in words or actions. And we choose to trust God. While everyone else is playing by their own rules, the one who is being conformed to Christ is quick to pray instead of reacting out of anger. Virtue is bestowed upon the humble in times of challenge. It is what will keep you and preserve you under the pile. Virtue must precede all else that's added on to us so that we have a godly motivation for pursuing and acquiring all that we do. If we are not humble, we will pursue the things that we would do, then we pat ourselves in the back and say, look what we did. It's what God does. The next thing it talks about is knowledge. Knowledge is powerful if it's gained in the right order. Faith comes first to trust God, followed by our virtue to ensure that we have pure motives, and then knowledge. Only a proper motivation of gaining knowledge will keep you grounded and prevent you from becoming puffed up. It's godly knowledge that protects you when you're under the pile of all your challenges. It tells you when to reach and when to draw back, when to say something, when to stay quiet, when to attack, and when to defend. That's what godly knowledge will do. But knowledge is more than just one of the terms on this list. It is essential that we keep adding knowledge and stay in the Word. Again, I want to pump up and promote the Bible study we're doing on Sundays at 10. If you can make it, love to have you. If you're not in the Bible study, find one. Find one with someone. But we'd welcome anybody who wants to join us. But find something where you can be adding to your knowledge of the Word. In fact, the more that gets piled on top of us, the more it forces us downward. The choice is ours. We can choose to be forced into our own feelings of frustration, or we can choose to be forced into the Word. I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I'm going to go to the Word and see what God wants me to do. I know David was, had a lot of stuff heaped on him. I'm going to read the Psalms to find out how David found encouragement from God. I'm going to go to Genesis to see what Joseph did when he was picking up unfairly. I'm going to read the New Testament to see how Paul held, held all the, handled all the trials. I'm going to see what God wants to say to me because I don't know what to do, and God does. So I'm going to go to him and get more knowledge from God. What the enemy intends for evil against us, can actually push us into the Word for greater knowledge. So while it looks to the world like it's piling troubles on top of us, we could do some growing on our own if we add virtue by staying humble and add knowledge to our faith. Verse 6, to knowledge, add self-control. To self-control, add perseverance, and to perseverance, add godliness. Self-control is absolutely necessary to build our lives for Christ. Without it, we are pulled into extremism and become out of balance. Either we are too far to the left or too far to the right. 
we are either too big of pushovers or too rigid and too religious. But a spirit-led gifting of self-control allows us to follow our passion to seek the kingdom of God and not follow our own feelings, which will most certainly deceive us. Self-control during the trials of life teaches us to know when to stay quiet and when to quiet our flesh instead of demanding the mic to speak. Self-control was one of the greatest assets Jesus tapped into when he was laying down his life on the cross. He never opened up his mouth even though it was unfair. Because he did not fight back, he can actually say, I laid down my life for you. Do you understand if he would have fought back, he couldn't say that. He'd have to say, my life was taken from me if he fought back and resisted it. But because he didn't open his mouth, he can say, I died for you. I laid down my life for you. Not I was killed because of you. I laid down my life for you. That's a big difference. That's what he wants us to do, is to lay down our will and choose to follow him. And he knows it's unfair. But if we do that, we give glory to God, and God gives us the power to be victorious in this life, even when it looks like we're under the pile. Think about that for a minute. The only way that you can actually give something to God to offer your humanity and your humility and submission is to not complain about it. If I want to give something to God, I can't complain about it. I want to willingly submit to Him. I can't brag about it. I can't have it taken from me because I'm fighting it. I need to say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you. It's only possible by learning how to walk in spirit-led self-control. If you're lacking this in your life, then understand this. You cannot build anything further until your life has the right order. That's why we're going through this passage. What's the order? Peter tells us. It's faith. It's virtue. Knowledge of the Word of God. And then self-control. So if you're lacking any one of these areas, don't skip on to the rest of it. You need to go back and make sure you have your foundation ready. Next comes perseverance. Right? I know I've said this a hundred times. This was my favorite joke. It's like a teacher. You hear the same jokes over and over. It was by perseverance that the snails made it to the ark. Right? We need perseverance because we have difficult things that come against us. It's only, perseverance is only acquired during trials and temptations. Perseverance refuses to quit. It refuses to back down. It's usually not tested of us until we're well into a trial or a season of challenge. And we think it should be over yet and the trial is still continuing and God's still trying to build perseverance in us. He wants to know if we're going to quit. Are we in our schedule or God's schedule? If we've been faithful to build in order, perseverance is nothing more than listening to God's voice that we've already been trained with our ears and heart to dial into. After perseverance, we're to add godliness. I know what you're all thinking. Do you know how hard it is to remain or even appear to be godly? in the middle of a long, drawn-out trial, when it feels like everyone and everything is coming against you and piling on top of you, you know how hard it is to be godly? I'm just trying to survive. Now I've got to be godly too? That's hard. You know why? Because you can't do it on your own. 
You have to rely on God. And if you've taken the time to build in that order, it's the next thing that God's working on you. It's impossible to appear godly. It has to flow naturally. Godliness is not something that we can turn on or off. Godliness is the byproduct, the byproduct of adding these building materials faithfully and in the right order. Godliness is what we turn out as the enemy is attempting to turn us asunder. When Satan has thrown everything at us and we rise from the pile in humility and godliness, it's like heaping burning coals on his head. It's the greatest way to defeat the tactics of the enemy. 1 Peter 1.7 To godliness add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness love. When you look around the world today and you see not a lot of brotherly kindness, do you know why? Because they didn't build in the right order. That's what they're missing. You've got to go back to the beginning with faith and virtue and knowledge. And so if you see it in your own life, we've got to go back. These are the instructions that we have from God is to go back and to build in that right order. And the one we have brotherly kindness, that results in love. Doing things because we love others and because we love God. Not because of any other motivation of our will, but because we know God loves us, therefore we love. God loved us enough to die for us, therefore I'm going to share that love with others. That's what God calls us to do. He implores us to, in all things to add love to what we do. Second Peter 1.8 Scott, can you come up? For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, you can grow in any environment. In fact, the greatest natural environment is fertilized with, you know what? Cow poop. Right? Yeah. If plants can grow among the waste of others, then we can grow in anything as well. We can't just say, well, I'm not growing. I'm not getting closer to God because I'm going through these unfair things. If, can't, if plants can grow in manure, think about what we could do growing in stuff that the enemy is trying to attack us all the time. If we take those things and we give them to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to try to figure it out in my own mind. I'm going to trust you through the process, under the pile. Then I'm going to grow and give all my glory and honor to you. When you learn to exchange offense for grace, when you exchange bitterness for forgiveness, it's like getting a shot of miracle grow right into your core being. When the enemy thinks he has you down, but you keep pressing into God, you spring forth in power. Whether things are piling up on you now or a pile is on your horizon, don't just keep God's grace to yourself. Allow it to be your recycling agent. What the enemy throws at you, you extend grace and you trust God. Instead of complaining or using your own logic, I'm going to trust God. I don't like it. I'm not saying being taken advantage of, but I'm not going to use my energy to exact revenge. I'm going to use my energy to trust God because I know that God right now has predestined me to be conformed to His images. So I want to follow God. That's the will that I want to follow. Don't think for a moment that God can't use you until you get through your current trial or struggle. It's in the midst of trials that God anoints and that God appoints people for His will. 
His greatest servants are affected for the world for Christ because they've gone through a trial and have trusted God all the way. How you respond when you're under the heap reverberates across the fabric of time and eternity. Allow God's grace to help you rise up from the pile with a change of possession and a newly found momentum that drives back the enemy and gives all the glory to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word right now. We thank you that you are doing a work in each one of us. Help us through the words of the song to understand that you are in control. We trust you in the processes in our lives. We give you the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.